welcome to Integral Yoga Podcast. Today I'm joined by Atman Fioretti, one of our beloved Hatha <laughs> Yoga teachers. He teaches Thank levels you. one and two uh, and invo- is involved with the Sachidananda Ashram Prison Project. Yes. Dedicating your time to uh, serving at local prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's much I'd like to ask you about that. Sure. But I'd like to start with a more general question. What matters to you? What matters to me? What matters to me is just to have the energy to be able to serve. It's what keeps me going. To have this wonderful place to be able to participate and help out from time to time. It's definitely what keeps me going. Why is service important to you? Why service? I don't really have a lot of skills or a lot of formal experience or training or whatnot, but with my, with the having the great blessing of taking teacher training and then intermediate teacher training, that's something that I can offer, and uh, it seems to be accepted well, so it's it's fine. And I have I'm not a self-starter. So my life has just kind of drifted along. So to have a formal schedule, things to do every week, is really is beneficial to me, just into my general well-being. Keep going like that. And the service component in particular, mm-hmm. how does that make you feel when you serve? You know, considering maybe uh, your state of being before your service and then reflecting on your state of being after how does how does it change you once you feel okay i I just really served someone Mm. that's that's an interesting question you know service is service you just do it for the sake of the service and before i do my service as gurudev taught us over the years i offer it to him and I ask his assistance. And I always feel like, and I, I tell him specifically, I say, Gurudev, you're the teacher. It's, it's from you through your teachers that I learned how to teach. And ultimately, it's, it's up to you. So help me. If I feel a little tired when I'm teaching a class or a little bit off, if I do that, if I kind of put it into his hands, it seems to work out in the end. So it's just a, it gives me an opportunity to be with people, wonderful people, and that alone is enough. I, I don't really think much past that, just having the opportunity to be there to share, and that's, that, that does it for me. Hmm. When you were younger, did you ever think that you would have a, a guru? <laughs> that, thought, that thought often comes to me, so... I grew up in a middle class, lower middle class, working class neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And and you have to really realize this goes back to the 50s when I was growing up, right? And uh, to think that I would become a yoga instructor living in the <laughs> woods in rural Virginia, every time I think about that, I, I just think it's never even entered my mind at all not even close and that thought comes to me regularly just who who would have thought 
So how did that happen for you? How did it happen? Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's a, a simple way to state it is, is, is that after I got out of the military, the people that I uh, hung out with, my friends that I reconnected with, were political, kind of left-wing. I guess you could characterize them as hippies. And we were breaking away from the strictures, strictures of religion, strictures of the political uh, arena that we lived in. I mean, it was the issue of Vietnam. So as I got deeper into that lifestyle, then we, it was the political aspect, but then you always are looking for something spiritual, right? Well, most people do. So a lot of us were experimenting with different types of spirituality. We started with uh, Western mysticism. People like Gurdjieff and Ospensky and Madame Blavatsky and theosophists and whatnot. And it was just reading books. And then naturally, if you're in, the, if you're doing that kind of investigation, what would land in your hand is autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, which I'm sure so many countless people have been affected by that book. And I was one of them. And it's an, an amazing experience. And so we were doing different types of meditation and whatnot. So we were opening ourselves up. And there were other Just ways. Just your group of friends. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were other ways, other things that we were doing to open up our minds, our consciousness. And uh, from, from there... Uh, the other great influence, another great influence of that time of the of the late '60s was through the Beatles, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and Transcendental Meditation, and I had fr and, and how do you really, you know, you can read all the books, but then when you have when you have the experience of people that you know that have done that, become meditators, and to see how that affected their life. Then that was kind of, I was skeptical at first, but that was kind of the proof for me that this was something worth trying. So then uh, in 1970, 1970, May, I uh, was initiated into transcendental meditation and started doing uh, japa yoga, mantra yoga. And they did some, a little bit of pranayama, very little. They did a very little bit of, of hatha yoga. But I was living in San Francisco, and I was right down the street from Integral Yoga on Dolores Street mm. at that time. And I was in that circle of people that were in, interested and involved in those kind of things. So very quickly, I would uh, occasionally take a class at Integral Yoga, which had, well, we know how the class goes, much more Hatha Yoga and much more deeper into the integral part of it. And then... Uh, more and more, and then I would go to satsang from time to time, and then I became friendly with those people. And then around 1971, I got to meet Swami Satchidananda, and it's just an amazing experience to meet him. The, the contrast of having a retreat with uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which was, there was kind of like a hierarchy, and then there was kind of like a it was nice. It was good. Good. I don't want to say anything negative about it. It was fantastic. I learned so much from that. But there was this kind of separation. Even though you could go up in the darshan line, there were hundreds. I went to a, a, a what they called a residence course, which was a one-month retreat, and there were eight hundred people there. 
So there'd be a darshan line, but it was that was it. There was a long line of people, and then there was a circle of people around him. And when I met Swami Satchidananda the first time, it was a benefit for Yogaville Weston. We were in a restaurant, and he was sitting there at one of the tables, you know, and just being his normal, joyous, happy, friendly, accepting self. So much so that after the meal, it was just natural to just go up and say, well, thank you. You know, it was, that was really, the food was good. We had a good time. Good luck with that. Well, and then, he, you know, he is. Thank you for coming and whatnot. And it was just like, it's just like, whoa, this is really, there's something different here. And then in, in the course between 71 and 77, I was able to meet and speak with him uh, two more times. And then in 77, I ended up living in an integral yoga teaching center in Chicago and became very close friends naturally with those people where I was regular satsang and regular classes. And I was going to take a long trip, a long, I called it a sabbatical. And I started it with a 10-day silent retreat that, that was put on in Detroit. And Gurudev came to the last weekend. So by then we had been meditating a week and then we, we get to spend a weekend with him. So you can just imagine how powerful that was. And then I did some traveling and I was on the East Coast for Guru Purnima for July of that year. And so I went to Guru Purnima, first time I, up until that point I had no idea of what that meant. And I went to Guru Purnima in Connecticut and, and at, at the puja I felt, I don't know, how, to, how do you explain it? I felt that change, that switch, that flip from being interested and enjoying being around him to feeling that like uh, this is my guru and I'm a devotee. So that was it from July of 77. I know the exact time that mm -hmm. that happened. And making that decision for you, did it have a large impact? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to think of it as, as a decision. It, it really wasn't mm. a conscious thing. So just to take a step back, my my upbringing was in Catholicism, and, and we made a, a break from those strictures, right? And at that point, my thought was I would never bend my knee to anyone or anything in the name of religion. It was mm -hmm. just like there was no need to do the, any of that, right? And here was the, the Padapuja and the Darshan line, and I just, I, don't even, I didn't even think about it. I just got in the line, and when I got up to the front of the line, not only did I get down on my knees, but then I had my forehead on the floor and my hands on his feet. It wasn't as if I made a choice. It just was. It just was. It just happened, and that was it. And that was fine. And from that point on, and everything changed for the better. Can you describe that change a little bit more? Like when you say <laughs> the better, like what what was the difference there? Well, to really feel a part of, of that sangha, of that spiritual family. Hmm. I mean, anyone that I met through Integral Yoga, and like I told you, for a few months, I, I actually lived in their center. And they're wonderful people, close friends. But then there's that different thing where you become, other than friends, then you become family. So it was then it was real easy. Wherever I went when in my travels, whenever I was near an Integral Yoga center, I could go there. Usually there was a place for me to stay, a, a nice, calm, clean place to stay with really nice, clean, clear-minded people. It was just a nice change, huh? Rather than 
hanging out with some friends and crashing and whatnot. It was just being with your family, which was very important to me. Mm -hmm. So a calm, clean place to stay. Do prisoners have that from your experience? Or that <laughs> is, is it possible to feel that way about prison? Or are they just in a place oh. where that's, they don't have it, it's impossible? Possible, but extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. It's dealing with the group that I dealt with. They were, they had the, now they call cell blocks pods. So in their pod, 64 guys live. And these 64 guys are in this pod because they've had a history of psychological problems, PTSD and whatnot, anger issues and whatnot. And so they were, it was a wonderful program. They set it up so that these guys would live together to have a sangha, to have a family. And they're in, in this place, and it's a little less hectic and crazy than the general population, what they call GP, right? Where it could be anyone and anything. So at least in this group, there's a group of men that are making a conscious effort to improve, huh? to better themselves. And so, I mean, it, it, the prison in, in general is, is not dirty. I mean, they have a lot of help. There's always someone out there with a mop, yeah. sweeping and whatnot. It's, it's not the cleanliness so much as it's just the vibe, the energy. Sometimes I would lose sight of the fact that you're in prison because I'm dealing with these guys over the, this last group that I worked with for two years. You get to know them very personally. You become friends. I don't, they were my friends. There's no other way to describe them. They became good friends. And But then you look around and you see in the general population when I was going from place to place or sometimes... I had a, an extreme amount of freedom within the walls of the prison. And you go around and, and you, you realize that there's 1,200 people in this prison. I'm dealing with 64 of them. I'm dealing with 64 guys that are consciously trying to make an effort huh, to better themselves. But the reality of the other 1140 people that are in there is that some of them have done really uh, rough things and they have a, a rough lifestyle and, and being in the prison can be very dangerous to think. I would sometimes lose sight of that, but it, eventually it would come back to me. You know? there's, a lot of viol there's a lot of violence there just under the surface. Mm. And sometimes above the surface, too. Why do you think our country has such a high incarceration oh, number? Yeah, this, I mean, you can, almost, you can almost take their record and you'll see uh, in a majority of the inmate populations, you'll, you'll see the pattern. Huh? They come from a broken family. Many times they come from a family that has had legal issues, drug issues. Drugs are, I, I mean, ubiquitous and everything that goes on in there, there's always 90% of the times there's drugs in the background that are involved on some level. Yeah. So there's just, there is no sense of community. There is no sense of family. Huh? They don't have that. There's the, they don't have the opportunity and they get into the lifestyle. Huh? 
you go with what's the easiest huh, to keep to survive. And in, in, in many cases, it's, it's the drug culture, and, and the drug culture leads to crime, and the crime leads to prison. It's a, it's a generality, but it's not, it's not that far off, I think, of, of what the situation is with the majority of the people that are in that prison. Hmm. Do you think it has to do with a feeling of loneliness? Like, do those things occur because someone feels lonely, they don't have that, that sense of connection, community in their lives, and, and therefore sure. everything kind of springs from that? Or? Definitely a lack of connection. Because what's that? I mean, we all are familiar enough with the news to know huh, what that lifestyle is. It's very dangerous. Uh, even though they're making lots of money, even within their own group, there's, there's constant... Huh, back and forth there's constant fear there's constant uh, uh, anger between them and, and, and jockeying for who gets the most and who does more so even though even though they'll say well that's the only family I have you'll hear that sometimes with these people that in, in the gangs but there's there's no peace within those gangs you know there's a, it's just a, a constant struggle there's constant violence there so how can you connect I, I don't think it's really possible to and they must connect on some level, but for a deep connection, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And in the prisons, is is it a similar kind of vibe, or have you seen um, that there is a, a sense of community and a family that can develop among the inmates? Well, I have to say that, that my experience was limited to my group, right? And... Um, yeah, they have a sense of community. They they identify with the guys that are in their pod. My experience with the general population is not is not. I don't have that much experience in, in with them. I I could just say offhand, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so because they're still, they're still. I mean, when when I get my orientation, when I took my training before I went into the program. They give us a, a a primer on the gangs and how they operate and whatnot, and and we all see in the news, you know, we get some idea of, of what these things are like. So th there's gangs, there's tension between the gangs, there's tension between the races. Uh, so that that goes on at, at all the time, all the time. So the prison that I went to, Buckingham Correctional, from what I can tell, from my experience, as prisons go. It's a better one, but it's prison, and prison, by its nature, is not pleasant. And in Virginia, we have a rating system of one to five, minimum to maximum security, and uh, Buckingham is a four. So there's a lot of guys in there that have done very serious crimes and are going to spend a lot of time in jail, a lot of time in jail. And it's gray and it's grim, you know. But, and like I say, they keep it clean. They have plenty of outdoor activity. They have a big gym. They have counseling. They have, probably for some of them for the first time, they have health care. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but it's still prison. There's You come in, and once you clear security and you get in, you come to a point and there's a red line written on the, I mean, painted on the on the walkway. And then there's stenciled into that is no offenders beyond this point. 
So even within, even though they have a, a bit of freedom going in and out from their uh, cell buildings to meals and whatnot, they come to the red line and they have to stop. If they don't stop at the red line, there's consequences. And, and that's how it is. No, your freedom is curtailed. Not pleasant. Not a pleasant. It's not a pleasant vibe. Have you thought much about just the, this process? Like, what is the goal of of the pro, uh, of of a prison? Right. It's, that's that's one of the things about the the uh, VDOC, Virginia Department of Corrections. In in their in their statement, uh, they say that we have to begin making prisons a healing environment. And it's a very, very difficult task. So at least they're making that statement. They're putting it out there. And they mention a, a number of, of things. Is, is, is that they say that, and it's very positive thoughts. They say one of the things they said was is that no in, inmate should leave prison without at least a GED, without a high school equivalency. So education mm. is important. We know that's important. Uh, another thing is is that we have to have a better mechanism once they get out of dealing with them, helping them, halfway houses and whatnot, to make the transition. Because you, it's hard to imagine if you're if you're locked up as fast as progress happens in our society nowadays, if you're locked away for 10 years, you have an idea of what's going on on the outside. But when you hit on the outside and you actually have to deal with it, it must be overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Sure. And that's, I'm just throwing 10 years. There's guys in there that do 20 years. They do a generation and then they're back on the streets and then they're expected to become convicted felons. They're expected to become a productive part of society. How do you do that? You you need a lot of help from society to do that. And I think maybe the, even the, the help from society can be just considering the situation uh, that these people are in, right? Okay, so you, you commit a crime. You do something that's wrong. Okay, now what? So in a way, I think just locking someone up and just the idea of punishment, I guess, mm -hmm seems like an, an easy way. I mean, maybe punishment is effective. I'm not saying that, that it's not. Okay, you're punished, and then you learn not to do, sure. to do that thing again. But what is, what is the goal when someone does something that's wrong? What, do we, what are we trying to then teach that person it, it, in a way, right? So I guess the idea of rehabilitation, which yeah. it's called rehabilitation, but actually to dive deep into that question and and ask what what rehabilitates you know because yeah ultimately especially if they're going to be you know coming back into society again right we how many multiple offenders are are there right already there's uh yeah that that's the word recidivism yeah recidivism so <laughs> that's you haven't achieved the objective if if someone is going through this process and then they're committing a crime again then you, you haven't been successful yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, that's the expectations. What, how how do you even if they get an education, say they and they do it. Some some of my guys I I know that have completed college while they're in prison. They're in there long enough 
that they take correspondence courses. Teachers come in from UVA and from the junior college and teach them courses, and they get their degree. And if they go out to work, unless they get lucky, that's always there. Convicted felon, right? And so that's how do you how do you overcome that one? That's a that's a really difficult one. Huh? So it's it's having people generally more open to take a chance with someone like that who's been incarcerated to feel that they have been rehabilitated to give them the support and then let them integrate back into society and but it's so i mean it's just such a it's such a difficult difficult situation i mean sociologists write book after book they study it year after year and there's all kinds of things out there but you you just really educate them and and make them able to support themselves without having to go back into their lifestyle. Hmm. And what would be the yoga approach? You know, the the yogic way of, of, of handling a situation when someone does something that we would classify as, as wrong. What would yoga say about it? What, what might Gurudev say about oh, how to act well, I mean, there's, in situations? There's the book that uh, Reverend Kumari Desachi wrote basically it's transcriptions of uh, talks Gurudev gave to prisoners and his advice was you're going to be locked up and it's up to you uh, how you make it while you're in you're going to be in you can either make it suffering or you can make it like being in a, a, a monastery in a retreat uh, and do your practices and get yourself back to yourself it's up mm. to you that to make that choice. And that's a, a difficult choice to make because there's a lot of distraction within the prison. But yeah, I mean, it's really, it, it's interesting because, so I, I just finished up a, a cycle of two years in the men's prison here. But a few years back, I also did two years in a maximum securities women's prison. And the reason I'm bringing that up was one of the women that I taught yoga to in that prison she came to me, introduced herself, and said, I'm the longest-serving woman in maximum security in, in the Virginia Department of Correction. She had been in prison 40 years, and she told me, I fought the system for 20 years, and it took me that long to realize that that didn't work. And then I buckled down, and I got, I got an education, uh, she had a job where she ran a department that the prison uh, translated books into Braille. It's a, a skill that they have to learn. And they had a department there, and she ran that department. She got her college degree. And she said, and, and now I have purpose in my life. She said, but it took me 20 years to get to that point, to even make the effort. Uh, it's like, and the good news is, is that after about 42 years in prison, that she got paroled mm. and she had a skill and, and she, she said she had a job lined up that if she had gotten paroled that she could go to. So that's a success story, but those kind of stories are few and far between. So it takes, I mean, to 20 years to just to get to the point where you're not fighting the system, where you're going to go along and take advantage of whatever they offer you. But that's tough. That's a, a, a tough road to hoe, you know. So yeah, that was yeah, and yeah, that was another experience with with the maximum security women's prison, but different than the men. You said something there about 
using the self to find the self or that Gurudev uh, recommended taking the time to 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 find the self, yeah. right? Can you elaborate more on what does that mean to kind of use the self to find the self? Mm. Well, so the, the I don't know if this will answer your question, but I'll give you a story, right? So I'm in Buckingham Correctional, and I go into the room where I teach my class, and there's a blackboard, and I look on the blackboard, and there written on the blackboard is the symbol for Om. And under that is a, a quote from Guru Mai, who's the, the guru of Siddha Yoga. And, and part of the reason that I'm involved in teaching in prison is through Siddha Yoga, because my brother is a Siddha Yoga meditation teacher, and he's been... Uh, teaching meditation in prison for many years. And it's through his example that I got interested enough to uh, contact uh, Reverend Barcel, Lakshmi Barcel, and get involved myself. So I'm very familiar with Siddha Yoga, and here's quotes from Guru Maya on the board, and I'm like stunned how, I mean, I said, what, did an angel come in overnight mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and write the Sanskrit and write these quotes from Guru Maya on the wall? So I, I went to... A, a friend, my friend, the psychologist who was running that program that I was involved in, and he said, no, there's a Siddha Yoga class here, a meditation class, it's been going on for a long time. Ah, so I asked him, well, give me the contact information for the person that's leading it, assuming that it's someone outside of the prison who's coming in like me and teaching meditation, and I want to be in contact with that person right? because we have a lot in common. So no, he said, the teacher is an inmate. So I know from Siddha Yoga that in order to be certified as a Siddha Yoga meditation teacher, you have been very well trained over a long period of time. And it, it, it's not something you can just pick up and say, I'm, I'm a Siddha Yoga, Yoga meditation teacher. So I arranged to meet this gentleman, and his name is Brother Chavis, Al Chavis. And Brother Chavis has been incarcerated for 40 years, and he teaches Siddha Yoga meditation. And he's an example of what, if you do go to the self, huh? That's what they say. What do we say? Huh? The, the guru is within the self. He's, he, he's obviously, he, at this point, he's really in connection with the self. And from that place, he's sharing it with these guys, and they just love it. So occasionally I would go and sit in with his classes and we would do a little chair yoga because it was in the evening, we couldn't really do hatha yoga. We'd do a little bit of chair yoga and then I would participate in, in their little siddha yoga satsam and we would meditate together. And it was just a, a great, great experience. But he's in prison for 40 years and I asked, it's a question you, sh you don't really ask, but in his case, I asked him, because I became so close to him. I said, Brother Chavis, is, is there a chance that I'll be able to meet you on the outside and that I can bring you to Yogaville and see that you got a chance to go to your ashram in, in New York? And he said, well, he said, there's a possibility. And when you hear that, it's like iffy. There's a possibility in two or three years I might be able to come up for parole. And that really, and I should, shouldn't have been shocked by that, but it, it still is a shock because it's like a good friend of yours who's been there locked up for so long, and you feel like this guy is really, 
he's the model of rehabilitation. Mm. This person is very, very calm and centered, and just people just love him. And he was the guru to me. He just he just looked, and I I kind of shook my head, and he could see that it upset me. And he just said, "It is what it is," and that's it. That's where his life is at at this point. He just accepts. Huh? He lives in the now. He accepts accepts for day to day. So, as I say, you know, when people ask me about prison, I say, well, it's a constant. I mean, teaching yoga is a constant learning, right? It, you teach yoga, you know. You, you never stop learning as, as you're teaching. But teaching in the prison just brings another whole dimension to the to things that you experience and the things that you learn. How you have to really take Master Shivananda's advice to adjust, adapt, accommodate all the time. Because uh, I, you deal with... I told you that these guys that I dealt with, I have PTSD, they have anger issues, they have psychological problems, you know, and things pop up in the class and you just have to deal with it. You have to be able to sit there and, and deal with it huh? without getting upset or frightened. It's a trip. Mm -hmm. It's a trip. Have you seen that practicing yoga is really beneficial for these inmates? Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, you know. I took another training be, be, besides level one and level two, stress management teacher training. And that was fantastic because it's very practical. And it, it's, it's on a, a level of if, if you were, say, if you were going into a corporation and you wanted to do a stress management session with, with these professional people and doing chair yoga so that it, you don't have much time to really do a whole session and talk about, what is yoga and how to deal with stress? And we know we live in a highly stressed uh, society. And as soon as I started taking that training here at, at Yogaville, immediately I started putting it, it into practice in, in the prison. Huh? And talk about just, just the simplicity of... So, as I say, the, the, as much as they have their little pod where they're together, but they have to interact with the rest of the prison. And stresses are there the stress is always there for, in all our lives but stress is there and just to tell them you know and they'll come to me and they'll, they'll tell me incidents things that have stressed them out and i tell them well always remember the breathing huh? we all know that that the breathing is so important huh? the bridge between the mind and the body mm. so i just say just as simply say when they tell you when you get angry people tell you count to 10 i say well that's good but take 10 deep three-part breaths watch your breathing calm your breathing and you can calm the situation down it's just it's just on that level it's just the teachings are just so practical and so effective yeah and they'll come and tell me that they'll too they say well i went and i was on the phone with my son and we got into this big hullabaloo and then i i went and i calmed my breath and i talked to him later in the day and my son said what how did you change and in the last couple of hours, how come you're not so upset? So a, a, a little feedback like that is really important. Yeah, the the practice had a concrete effect on these guys. Mm. It's uh, and the ones some of them have, have been doing it long before I came into the prison. Have been doing yoga, and uh, yeah, it keeps them sane and it keeps them alive and it keeps them functioning good. Ironically, in a way, is, is prison uh, an opportunity to 
live more in the now, to practice yoga, to become spiritual? Sure. Is it an opportunity to engage those types of things, whereas in the outside world, these individuals may, may never have taken that, that sort of path? No doubt. I mean, Brother Chavis is the perfect example. Hmm. If he's been in prison 40 years, he did something yeah. bad to do that. And if he was in that lifestyle where he did something uh, enough to get him that long a prison sentence, and now he's probably one of the most balanced people I know that I've ever met. Hmm. You know, I'm, you, you just get that feeling. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not really in a position to judge, but yeah, yeah, I've been around enough people here at Yogaville who are calm and centered. And he's in prison for 40 years, and he's just as calm just as centered if not more so than many of the people that i know here so yeah he's uh his 40 years on the karmic level they seem to have paid off for him huh? mm. he's doing good but then it's just my personal feeling that it, i just hate that he has to stay in that environment any longer he has no more need of rehabilitation on the other hand you would hate to see him leave that environment because then they're losing this just this center of energy that's in that 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 they can uh, learn from him and just learn from him by experiencing who he is right but we'll see you know the decision of, where, of whether he gets in or gets out is on another level right. yeah it must actually be really interesting for the other people in, in prison yeah. to see his example uh yeah and wonder what is, what is he doing to mm -hmm. be so calm and he and he plays he, he part of his satsang he'll play tapes of guru mai the, his guru she's just a great soul uh, well you know it, as best i can tell she's a realized being yeah. she's her teachings are just very clear like gurudev very clear very straightforward huh and he share every week. He shares these with these guys, and then they and then they do their mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. I worship the the divine within, Om mm. Namah Shivaya. And they they all have. The, I don't have to ask them about when we talk about meditation. If if I know that they're in Brother Chavy's class, I I know that that they have their mantra initiation, that they have. The, the, I don't have to talk about what are the different techniques. I just say you have your mantra. Repeat your mantra. We'll just have a couple of minutes of silence to end the class it's done it's, it's done it's good when you say realized being what does that mean to you to be a realized being uh, a person who's liberated in this lifetime huh? hmm. a person who who has n nothing else really to learn huh? they've, hmm. they've uh, are accomplished huh? and and again my perception is is clouded by by my lack uh, of uh, of consciousness, right? But my experience with Swami Satchidananda has always been uh, this: this, this thing that we talk about, this samadhi, this bliss consciousness. It's, it's, it, it's always interesting on paper. It's always interesting to talk about and study, but once you interact with a person and you feel that this person is that samadhi is that consciousness then you can say ah then it's worth 
any effort to put into it to get to that point because it's real. It's not just a concept that's in a book huh? or you, you heard in a class. This is a jivan mukta. This is a person who is liberated in the body. In the body. Yeah, is there a better way to learn than just to see an example? Is that the most powerful way that we learn? Is seeing an example of something that we can say, oh, I want to know what that's about, or that just resonates with us. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to learn, but I mean, it it, it was always, uh, it's always good to quote the guru, huh? Because he always used to say, when people would say about social activism, the, uh, the question would come up in satsang about, oh, uh, I'm trying to do whatever I can to make uh, life better for the world, for the environment and whatnot. And it's, you know, it's, it's making me crazy. You know, this question would come up f yeah. f regularly. And he would say, what you have to do is you have to start with yourself. Do what you can, but unless you're working on yourself, then you're not going to be able to, to, to do really good, right? Because if you're working on yourself, people will feel that, right? And by your example, you're teaching already, right? And if you're confused all the time or you're upset all the time with, and so worried about all these problems... You, you, it's, it's difficult for you to get your ideas across. So yeah, just being that example. He would even say that to people when they graduated uh, TT, teacher training. He would say, you're all full of this zeal and this energy after four weeks, and you want to run out there and tell everybody in your family, all your friends, you need to start doing yoga every day, you need to start meditating every day. He said, what that'll do is, 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 is with a lot of people, that'll put them off. Just live your life, do your practices, be calm, and people will sense that. And they'll come to you and they'll say, well, you went away to Virginia for four weeks and you're different. What happened? Then you can explain to them. Let them come to you. You can explain to them. And then you can share the energy with them. Huh? Mm -hmm. So that's the way to, to do it. Mm -hmm. he, I heard him say that. Along those lines, a number of times, huh? mm. cool your jets. Don't go running out there and just want to convert everybody right away. Mm. <laughs> the, the challenge maybe sometimes is, you know, it doesn't seem like it's enough, you know, to oh just to work on myself. Like that's not enough. I need no. to, I need to do more. I need to yeah. do yeah. No, but he didn't but, say that. Yeah, he said do what you can. Yeah. Do what you can. But the question would come where people have worked themselves into a frenzy. I'm. I'm going out and I'm, I'm marching for this and I'm marching for that and I'm, I'm doing volunteer work here and I'm doing volunteer work here. And you just, you just wear yourself to a frazzle and you don't, you don't, you're not really effective at that level. You do what you can, but uh, do your practices. Huh? Mm -hmm. Keep yourself centered. And that's, that's the place to start. That's mm -hmm. the place to start. Mm -hmm. Atman, thank you so much for your sharing today. <laughs> really enjoyed it's a pleasure mm. it's a pleasure